0: All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, with the other host, Lisa Flicker. Hi, Lisa.
1: Hi, Chris. Great to be here.
0: Lisa, it's, it's September. What does that mean when you're at Jackson Lucas? At
1: Jackson Lucas, it's September secondaries.
0: Oh, that is big right. It's a big celebration. All the secondary people are out and about um and today we have david lee david lee is over at bgo um do they still call it bento green oak i don't even know or they just go by bgo i should have asked I that
1: they do yeah well, he he
0: is a managing director there uh within bgo strategic capital partners I met David or first heard of David when he was on, at Metropolitan Real Estate, which was then purchased by Carlisle and now at BGO. So he's been basically, no, not basically. He's been with the same team and, and group for a long time doing secondaries. He started at Partners Group, so he's had all the he's had all the big the big players out there. He's a, a New York native, grew up in Brooklyn, uh, went to Wharton. Uh, and currently lives in Manhattan, and he's going to be one of the participants in our webinar tomorrow, which is on, you know, this is coming out on September 26th, and the webinar is on September 27th, so please sign up for that. We look forward to, to hearing from David and the other guests, and with that, enjoy the podcast.
1: Enjoy. Thanks, everyone.
0: All right, David Lee, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we got we got Lisa Flicker. Hi Lisa.
1: Hi Chris. Good it is a pleasure to be again. here for me too.
0: David Worry, are you Good in West Westchester yet. too?
2: No, I'm in New York City. Oh, look at
0: you. It looks like you got out the window. I can't really tell, but it looked like there was like, like you were in a suburban home.
2: I am not. I, I live in Midtown East. Oh. Which is currently ground zero for all the UN General Assembly Week activities. I don't miss that. Oh, I'm hiding inside. Yeah,
1: <laughs> if you want to drive one block? It'll take you an hour. So I get why you're hiding inside.
2: <laughs> yeah, more more
0: or less. Yeah. <laughs> this has uh, been a
1: brutal week. Commute.
0: Yeah, that's what everyone's telling me. I forget about I forget about that. I always say like oh, I want to move back to New York, and then I forget, about, I forget about these type of things.
2: I do love New York. It's, yeah. it's great, but it's it's tough every year. I've thought about moving just for this one reason, but once the week <laughs> is over, then <laughs> then uh, I don't have to worry about it for another year. Where did you grow up? Exactly. Did you grow up
0: in the New York area, David?
2: I did. I grew up in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and most of my family is is still here in Brooklyn. So I'm a New Yorker. Lisa grew up in Brooklyn. Where where in in
0: Brooklyn did you grow up?
2: I grew up in in Gravesend. Lisa, where did you grow up?
1: Oh, pretty close. I grew up in Sheepshead Bay, um, and there was Gravesend Avenue, which I assume is probably connected to where you were, very, very close to where I live. So East. Mm -hmm. 23rd and Avenue U was kind of the the general area the yes. landmark mm-hmm. where this is home. Yes. <laughs> I
2: feel left yes. out. I not 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 too far away. I think probably a few miles.
1: Did you go to high school in Brooklyn? I
2: I did. I went to high school in Bay Ridge. Poly Prep. Okay.
1: Oh nice. Very nice. Cool. That's much fancier than uh, Sheepshead Bay High School that I had to go through a metal detector every day to get into my classes.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I was a scholarship student, so that's my, I, 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 that's my
0: footnote. At <laughs> least I went to high school in the 50s, so it was all greasers with like, switchblades. <laughs> picture grease. Picture <laughs> grease. <laughs> that was uh, basically Sheephead. <laughs> uh, um, so you've come a long way. You are now the uh, Managing Director at Bentel Green Oak, or otherwise known as BGO, Strategic Capital Partners. Can you tell us about, I assume most people know about Bentel Green Oak. Can you tell us about BGO as a whole and then you're
2: the strategic partner, Capital Partners? Sure. Uh, Well, where to begin? Uh, (laughs) Bentel Green Oak is a firm that's the product of mergers and acquisitions over time. But the oldest part of BGO was actually founded more than a century ago. Oh, really? And today we have more than $80 billion of assets under management um, across real estate investment strategies, all real estate though. Uh, but we do core, core plus, value add, debt, and multi-manager investments, which is the, 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 the last of those being the strategic capital partners or SCP business. We do those investments globally in us europe and asia major liquid markets so it's uh, a very large uh, well diversified and global real estate platform Uh, we are part owned by sunlife capital uh, which is part of sunlife the canadian insurance company and part owned by uh, our employees gotcha
0: and can you tell us what strategic you know since it's September, you know what Jackson Lucas—that means it's September secondaries or secondary September. Can you tell us about like what is Strategic Capital Partners?
2: Like what what does that even mean? Well, we'll go with the acronym uh, from now, SCP, just so that okay. we can we can save a little bit SCP. of time and aggregate <laughs> over the over the course of the podcast. But we were founded in two thousand and two as a firm called Metropolitan Real Estate. Yeah, State.
0: that's that's why I remember and
2: you being there from a long time ago. Yes, and uh, for uh, more than a decade, we were privately owned by our founders. In 2013, we became part of the Carlyle Group. And then in uh, 2021, we all moved together from Carlyle to BGO when we changed our, and, and where we changed our name to Strategic Capital Partners. We were founded originally as a fund of funds, meaning we would raise commingled funds from typically small institutional investors to invest in real estate funds. And we we typically do this, you know, every 18 to 24 months or so, mm-hmm. to give our investors very broad diversified exposure to real estate private equity during those specific vintage years. From the very beginning we actually did secondaries as well. Uh, so in certain cases there were opportunities to um, invest in the same funds where we were doing primary fund investments on a secondary basis um, and then over the years we also got very involved in co-investments um, that started really during the global financial crisis and then in recaps mm-hmm. which have become for us the uh, you know largest part of our secondary investment strategy
0: the recap strategy are you recapping portfolios like what do you what do you what do you what do you recap?
2: We have, in many cases, recapped portfolios, um, but um, our recaps are, you know, quite flexible in structure, and there's a broad range of transaction types. Um, In some cases, we're recapping individual assets or relatively concentrated portfolios. Um, In other cases, more diversified portfolios. Um, We've even looked at continuation vehicles, though I would say that we've differentiated ourselves by being more of a. Small and mid cap investor, um, and the deals typically comprise either single assets or, or or just a few assets. Gotcha.
1: It feels like we're in a good market for the secondaries business. What do you think?
2: It it it, it is a it is a very good environment to be a secondary investor, um, particularly on the recap side. I, I would say that the traditional secondaries and fund stakes, less active at the moment, though that may change in the future. Um, I think a year ago we thought there would be much more activity, and there have been uh, moments where there was a bit of a jump in activity levels um, in, in the trading of fund stakes, but it hasn't been very consistent. It's been quite volatile, and, and we'll have to see how that plays out um, you know, over time. But in contrast, we've had a very uh, consistently rapid, I would describe it, uh, acceleration of deal flow in recaps, um, particularly the, the part of the market which is our focus, focus which is the small the mid-sized deals, um, anywhere from uh, really 20 to $100 million of, of equity investment.
0: And what is... Like, uh, and I, I think that's...
2: Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, David. I, I think that's... Being driven by uh, a few different factors, right? The the just as the secondary transaction types are quite diverse, the drivers of deal flow are also quite diverse. Um, So uh, you know, just just to name a few, um, the the market environment, of course, is uh, leading to stress or distress in the capitalization of assets, uh, assets that were originally financed uh, during. A different point in time in the real estate capital markets, different LTVs, different interest rates needing to be refinanced now at higher LTVs, um, higher interest rates, and, and therefore requiring a pay down um, of debt. Um, excuse me, lower LTVs being re, re, being refinanced in lower LTVs um, and higher interest rates, therefore requiring a pay down. Um, we're also seeing, uh, of course, uh, the impact of. Um, more expensive interest rate caps, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, far more expensive than uh, anybody originally projected when they um, originally did a deal, uh, and therefore needing more equity. So, what's go- what's been going on in the debt capital markets, of course, has been a, a driver of deal flow for us. Um, one of the other big drivers is fundraising. Cha- the fundraising challenges that many um, uh, fund managers are experiencing, uh, and particularly the the, the, the more small uh, specialist type of, of fund managers that we've historically invested with at at SCP. Um, over time, we've seen more fundraising dollars, even before you know before the past year, flow from um, these specialist managers to the the large diversified funds. Uh, so that's been you know, an ongoing, um, you know, trend, secular trend, that the whole industry has, has experienced for the past several years. But um, that's become particularly acute, I think, in the past year, where, um, you know, smaller managers are really finding it difficult to connect with investors mm-hmm. um, and even get re-ups at a time when investors are capital constrained, dealing with a denominator effect or, or other issues. And when, when, when a, a fund manager has fundraising challenges, right, that can lead to recap deal flow in, in a number of ways. Um, for instance, we've worked with uh, managers who started fundraising before interest rates uh, began to, to go up last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the rate environment changed, they could no longer hit their target fund size, but they had already started investing on the basis of you know, at least getting somewhere close to that target size. Now uh, they're over-concentrated in their seed portfolio. They are increasingly um, uh, quickly running out of dry powder. And uh, ReCap could, you know, take them take part of their exposure out in, in those seed deals, uh, which will reduce the concentration risks for, for their fund investors um, and free up dry powder uh, for them to Create a diversified portfolio. Uh, we we're seeing that quite a lot. Um, we're also seeing, you know, managers look to recaps as a way to generate liquidity for their investors, right? So that they can consider re-upping in the next fund, um, but without, you know, foregoing all the potential upside in the assets by selling at a bad point in time. So, you know, partially driven by, uh, of course. Fundraising challenges, but also just very much based on the the desire to do well by their investors and meet those investor needs.
0: Did a lot of, I mean, a lot of firms like Landmark Joint like was acquired by Ares, and then, you know, you guys are acquired by BGO or merged with BGO or like it feels like where were people see, is that because people were kind of hedging? Cause like, all right, things are going to start turning eventually and we're going to have to, secondaries are going to be hot in a couple of years. We better start. Uh, you know, adding these, tacking these onto our, our large, you know, our big, our bigger
2: platform here. It's an interesting thought. I, I don't think anybody expected rates to, and certainly if you could, there'd be other ways to make money (laughs) that, that, you know, would, would be a sure thing, so to speak. um, And, uh, you know, could, could have been uh, very lucrative bets, so to speak. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected interest rates to go up as rapidly as they have in the past year um, and lead to such a rapid acceleration of, of secondary deal flow on the recap side. Um, I think the, the m and activity you mentioned was really more just based on long-term trends benefiting the secondary market um, and interest of different firms into getting into the space and being able to offer that product to their investors.
1: So David, if somebody listening to this would like to get into the secondaries market as a career, I see you went to Wharton, then you started out as a banker. What do you think a good, a good strategy for kind of coming up the curve to come into it would be?
2: Actually, I have a, a fairly unique career story. Um, I didn't start out as a banker. I started out at, at, at Credit Suisse in their alternative investments division. Um, in what was then called the Customized Fund Investment Group, oh, cool. which uh, you know had its own uh, corporate events, so to speak, uh, they left um, Credit Suisse several years ago. Now, after, after I after I left the team um, and became part of Grosner Capital Markets, oh, cool. they're now known as GCM Private Markets. But i I've, I've been on the multi-manager side my whole career, um, albeit with investment banker training. Um, I initially started out there as a generalist and then um, had the opportunity to work on secondaries, um, actually on the energy and infrastructure side initially, and separately had, had the chance to work on real estate investments as well. Um, and then the opportunity came up to uh, make a, make a bit of a career change, focus on those two things, real estate secondaries specifically, um, at Partners Group. Mm. And I was hired at Partners Group by a woman named Sarah Schwarzschild. Yeah. I went to work with Sarah there for uh, almost three years uh, before we actually then left together to to join Metropolitan after, uh, shortly after I'd been acquired by Carlisle. And we joined specifically to take the real estate secondary experience um, we had and start a real estate secondary business at Metropolitan.
0: Interesting. Sarah just left, right?
2: Yeah, Sarah's a big deal. She left earlier. Sarah left earlier this year um, to join a real estate debt firm here in New York. And um, that's after I'd worked with her for more than a decade. And after we'd been at um, Metropolitan or Strategic Capital Partners for um, almost a decade. So, So, quite a long time working with her. Uh, she was an important career mentor to me and, and a good friend, and uh, I certainly wish her the best. And I'm still in touch with her uh, in her in her new opportunity. I'm sure. That's yeah. all. Well, yeah, I'm sure. but That's but not fun. everybody, you know, who's interested in real estate secondaries will probably follow that path. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, it's a bit of a, a unique path. Um, but what's the skill set? I, I like, think what's, I, the I skill, could,
0: what's the skill set? Like, re, like it's different. You know, how do you how do you Evaluate a secondaries opportunity, and like, what's the skill set you need to be a good investor in the secondaries world?
2: It's a good question. So we uh, have historically hired from investment banking, um, and not necessarily folks who already have real estate experience who are in real estate investment banking, uh, but that's worked best for us from. Uh, you know, a hiring perspective is to take people who have, you know, raw financial modeling uh, skills, um, also the ability to put together presentations and memos um, and teach them real estate as an asset class ourselves. So that model's worked well for us. I know some of uh, the other real estate secondary firms hire directly out of undergrad um, and, you know, would therefore need to uh, provide that financial modeling training. Uh, but I think that technical skills are very important to what we do because um, we do a lot of underwriting up front. Um, and uh, that's because on a go-forward basis, we are uh, more of an LP in nature. Though in the recaps in particular, we, we often um, almost always have control rights. Uh, we're not asset-managing deals in the same way that uh, other real estate funds would. And therefore, it's it's very important for us to be granular in our underwriting up front, uh, particularly in terms of the financial modeling. And um, therefore, having, I think, good financial modeling skills is important. Also, um, we see a very wide diversity of deals. Um, so uh, folks starting out Uh, on our team could see an industrial development, uh, multifamily repositioning, uh, some sort of preferred equity investment opportunity. So deals that, um, you know, every deal is, every new deal is different from the last one. And therefore there's no template, right? Um, We have certain, we do have certain templates and and tools to, uh, you know, expedite the process, so to speak. And to make uh, our underwriting consistent for the benefit of, of our IC, so that the folks, um, myself included, reviewing the deals um, can can more readily compare one deal to the next. But um, you know, there's there again, there's no, uh, it's not, we're not a multifamily fund that um, would use the same template for uh, for every single right. deal. Uh, so it's very important that the the junior people starting out on our team have those skills right to um, be able to adapt to whatever the situation is with the next deal. Oh, so that's that's quite that's quite different, I think. Um, also, you know, beyond just the financial modeling, uh, being able to learn and um, get uh, very granular with new asset classes, of course, benefiting from the experience of more senior members of the team uh, who, you know, uh, if we if we look across uh, our investment committee, we've worked on virtually, uh, we, we, we've, we've been in virtually every property type in every major liquid market. So we do have um, the institutional knowledge in the senior team, but in um, the junior team, being able to learn a, a new asset class, um, right? Uh, do the market research, um, understand the competitive landscape, all all, all the different things that um, you know are 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 important. Um, that's that matters as well. I think um, you know we we look a lot for self starters and entrepreneurs um, or people with an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, which, which means taking the initiative, right, and figuring something out uh, to the extent that's possible uh, for yourself. So, um, particularly important on, on the deal side, where um, again, every every new deal is different from the last.
0: What do you what do you look for in a deal? Like, what's is you have a, do you have a typical deal, or do you have like, and what do you when you're looking at deals? Like, what do you, is there any key indicators? Like, hey, this is something we want to invest in. Besides the fact well, that you're going to make money have, off of it? <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: uh, we, we, we do have targeted returns, of course. We do have target returns. We do have, um, we do have uh, a playbook, I would say, um, and, and also key criteria uh, that, as you'd expect, change with market conditions. Um, but generally speaking, I think over time, across cycles, we have historically worked with small specialist managers, right? To uh, are either uh, investing in a, in a single property type and or in a single market, right? Um, the, the most specialized managers we work with are focused on a single property type in a single market. Um, so I, I would say that, that, gotcha. you know, is something we often have in our deals. Um, we, are a value add investor, so that's important as well. Uh, we are looking for deals where there's um, an opportunity to earn money, not only on the buy, but also with a business plan where we can create value through um, the repositioning of the asset, right? Um, lease up, whatever, whatever it is exactly. We're looking to you know buy into a business plan where we can create value, and then, quite importantly, also to sell when the time is right. Um, we can have a very long investment horizon, um, so we're not, by any means, a, a short-term investor. But we are certainly a buy-it-fix-it-and-then, very importantly, sell-it investor. So um, you know whether the business plan is three, five, or seven years, whatever the case might be, uh, just making sure that uh, we we also sell well when when the time has come, so that that's important to us and and we're looking for deals that that check those boxes that um, you know uh, where there there is the opportunity to, as I said, add value um, and uh, the manager will be aligned with us in selling when that value has been added.
1: I always wondered how much data is available to you when you're doing a secondary deal is it is it hard to find the information it's not a, it's not public and it's not kind of the, the main transaction maybe i'm just a layman but i'd be curious to hear how you find your how you find your data
2: good question so on the traditional secondary side where we're buying fund stakes um, access to information is a significant challenge Uh, Real estate secondary, the the real estate secondary market is far more uh, opaque than the private equity secondary market, um, from which we borrowed many of our, you know, um, market concepts and um, ways of doing things. But, um, you know, there are a few reasons why that's so. Uh, First of all, real estate fund market is smaller, right? Um, Less AUM, fewer funds. In real estate private equity, than in uh, private equity buyout, growth equity, uh, and venture capital. Right. Uh, so, you don't see the same funds. Um, there are no flow names in in real estate secondaries. You hardly ever see the same funds uh, selling on a consistent basis, um, except you know certain funds that, that are maybe currently distressed, where there are a lot of potential sellers but um, you, don't, you don't have uh, as well as many large funds. There are a few, of course, uh, where, where there could be ongoing selling at all times. So, um, you know, that's, that's a bit different, right? Um, in the private equity secondary market, you underwrite a certain fund, um, you could expect potentially to be able to buy more interest in that fund in the future. And I, I would certainly say that's less the case in, in real estate secondaries. Um, there's still opportunities to do repeat buying but it's just less flow uh, ongoing flow and then um, there's also just less consistency in um, real estate private equity fund reporting every every fund has a different approach um, shares a different level of information generally speaking less information than private equity buyout and growth equity funds um, on their assets uh, so, You know, things that we would want to do a real estate underwriting of the underlying assets in a fund um, aren't typically in the standard reporting. Uh, Basic information like what is the current NOI of the asset, um, we we won't have in the reporting, and we'd have to request that from the manager. Uh, Managers, of course, uh, are typically expected to facilitate secondary transfers, but um, you know, they otherwise, there's nothing in it for them really, except um, the relationship they have with the seller, the relationship they may want with the buyer moving forward. And we find that typically managers will be helpful to an extent, but may not be willing to share uh, some of that detailed information that's not already in their reporting. Um, and that's a challenge. We, we have the philosophy at SCP um, to take um, our real estate principal investment expertise and apply that to secondaries. So if we can't do a real estate underwriting of a secondary, we just won't buy the fund stake, right? right. And that that has certainly limited the opportunity set, uh, but I think it's also helped us avoid, um, you know, potentially um, risky. Transactions, right? Um, just being very comfortable with with what we're buying, getting getting the information we need before um, making the purchase. In contrast, the um, uh, recap secondaries, we typically have very good access to information um, that is fully in cooperation with the with the GP, uh, and uh, you know we're often starting with their you know, their information, right? Their financial model, um, their historical financials, uh, historical operating performance, um, their budget moving forward and, and other projections. Uh, and then we have the opportunity to layer in our own analysis to rebuild the financial model if we uh, desire or need to, uh, or to leverage their work, but put in our own assumptions, do our own market research, um, look at our own comparable um, assets, both from a leasing perspective as well as a sales perspective, talk to other market participants, um, all those different things that you would do for any real estate deal, um, we we can do in, in, a, in a recap secondary. Um, so there, we're only constrained by whatever the uh, transparency is in the underlying real estate market. Uh, so U.S. real estate uh, tends to be in our view, the most transparent mm-hmm. um, of the markets globally, uh, a little bit less transparent and certainly more fragmented in Europe, right? Where it's country by country and each country has differing levels of, of market transparency and then very opaque in, in Asia. We do have a five-person um, SCP investment team in Asia located in Hong Kong and um, that's larger than most uh, teams at, at real estate secondary funds in Asia, uh, just because you know we want to to make sure that um, you know we're able to uh, you know not only find the best deals but also underwrite deals well in that market given its um, relative opacity. And then there, it, it's also really helpful to be part of the BGO platform, yeah. which has a very strong business in Asia.
0: That's what I was going to ask what was the benefit, but yeah, that's that's a it's a big benefit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we have a strong, very strong business in Asia uh, as a differentiator from from other firms that uh, perhaps have uh, less Asia exposure. Of course, we're also, you know, the platform is also quite strong in in Europe and the U.S. as well, and um, across across regions, we're leveraging um, you know the information available to us at at BGO, not only the information but also um, the perspectives, uh, contacts. And, 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 other value that can be provided by our colleagues uh, across the platform.
0: The yeah, BGO seemed to get huge. Like, I know it wasn't overnight, but it felt like just, Hey, it was like, I heard about it coming together. and then, Well, before, before it was BGO, but then all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, it's like one of the biggest ones
2: out there. It feels like.
1: That did happen. It did feel that way.
2: Yeah. And, and the, <laughs> it, um, you know, it, it, and, and I've only been, you know, one part of, of BGO. You're the main together, part. So to speak. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but I, I would say that it, 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 it's a lot more work than it might look like from, from, from the outside um, to, you know, come together as a platform. But I would also say that what's really interesting about how BGO came together is how complementary the different parts were. Right, so um, you know, Green Oak really having um, uh, established itself on the value add side uh, in in U.S., Europe, and Asia. Um, Kennedy uh, Bentall Kennedy, um, you know, having more of a, a core core plus focus, right? Um, so so just complementary from an investment strategy perspective, and and then of course Strategic Capital Partners exclusively a multi-manager no multi-manager business at, at bgo um so you know no overlap or, or conflict
0: that's awesome well i know you're used to not having any conflict but get ready for a lot of conflict because <laughs> you've just entered okay the hot seat <laughs> oh The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple of days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. That's
2: is... It's very dramatic.
0: <laughs> well, welcome. Wait wait till Lisa asks you the first question. Go ahead, Lisa.
1: All right. Do you have a book or podcast recommendation?
2: Ah, okay. So uh, I have been reading uh, a book called A World on the Wing um, about migratory birds. And uh, based on what I've read so far, I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, I, I am a birder. It's, uh, you are. My, it's my passion outside of the office. That's um, amazing. You're the first bird, as least, a little bit of a at least birder that they admitted it on the podcast. I, it's a little bit of a nerdy hobby. I love it. I,
1: admit, I love but,
2: it. <laughs> one, one, one that is very enjoyable. Good way to get outside, and as a little bit of a hook for uh, the folks that are probably listening in on this podcast. Um, the book begins with uh, by following uh, Wendy and Hank Paulson, who um, are. Very serious birders also, and contribute significantly to bird-related causes globally. Um, so I think I thought that was interesting. I had no idea that um, you know they were such serious bird. I guess it, it's it's actually not, you know not a secret at all. But um, I I I didn't know that uh, you know they they had the same passion or hobby that I do. I thought that was interesting. There is awesome.
1: there a difference between being a birder and a, and I'm going to botch up the word, it's like ornithophiliac or something, a person who... Excuse
0: you, Lisa. This is, a, this is a family podcast. <laughs> ornithologist.
2: Ornithologist,
1: there you go.
2: Or, ornithologist, yeah. Yeah. Well, ornithologist would be more of uh, somebody who's uh, in the academic study of okay. birds.
1: I spent... I went on a trip recently to so the place and I had a chance to uh, to to really dive into seeing some pretty cool birds. You would have loved it.
2: I, I haven't been yet. Take them the next list. time, Lisa. I
1: know, I know. Next yeah. time, next time you come <laughs> with me, it's it's amazing. Just,
2: N- next podcast will be I the there. <laughs> I mean, it
1: was it was amazing. So anyway,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And birding is 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 something that people can do and. beautiful and amazing place like the galapagos but also in in your backyard and uh, new york is actually one of the very best places most people wouldn't expect this but one of the very best places globally to bird we get a lot of migratory birds passing through here um, because we sit in what's called the atlantic flyway so birds that are migrating um, from north to south or south to north uh, along the east coast they often end up you know spending A day or multiple days uh, here in New York City, typically in Central Park, um, you know, is a good place to to, to look for interesting migratory birds. Um, And, uh, of course, I'm sure a lot of listeners are uh, listening in from New York. So, you know, something I'd encourage everybody to uh, at least try once.
0: We should we should start a a birding real estate birding society.
1: You know what? At my golf club, just, they do. Everyone, they, everyone they, from the real do estate world. Stuff. Is into they birding. do some bird watching. They have some special times of the year that they feel like they attract rare birds. So mm-hmm. come on up to Westchester.
2: Well, i I would be happy to lead a bird walk for folks in the real estate industry. I'm sure I'm sure, sure. I I do know, that. I I'm sure there are other it. there are other birders in in the. We yeah. could, all you use could do that it for
0: I'll ULI be. or something, uh, Lisa. You should do it for ULI. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right, ULI uh, New York. What?
0: Lisa's very. Very big in the ULI. There we go. Um, <laughs> now, besides birds, what is your most has been your most memorable deal? One that stands ah, out.
2: So, so, and this is a relatively recent deal, um, but it'll be obvious why it's so memorable. Um, I would say the very first deal that we did post-COVID, which was... Um, an investment, uh, it was a recap of a last mile logistics, industrial, um, uh, development site in the Bronx. Oh, yeah. Um, so the deal that we diligent Gee, was May, April to May, 2020. So while, um, New York city was still locked down, right. Um, we got this very interesting investment opportunity, uh, it it was originally the 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 landowner was originally selling um, the site, but that fell apart when New York went into lockdown, and and then it became a recap opportunity instead, where the landowner was going to stay in uh, for uh, for the development, and um, you know it was the the basis was significantly lower than the price would have been pre-COVID. Uh, which we thought was attractive uh, but it was an interesting time to be looking at uh, a large uh, development project in New York City right people were wondering uh, you know to, to put everybody you know back in time to what it was like then <laughs> we would hear the ambulances um, you know all day long right then and you know every every night at uh, was it five pm or or six PM or whatever it was, the pots and pans. Oh yeah, uh,
1: I remember that.
2: Being 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 banged feels right? like a different and, age, time. I know, right? So, you know these these days, it's a you know a, a, a development site of this quality uh, for industrial in, in New York uh, and so close to Manhattan, right? Potentially a no brainer, but but back then when it seemed like the world was falling apart and you know, we thought that New York was falling apart in particular because of, because of COVID it was, um, a, you know, a different story. And, uh, actually I did my, my own little personal site visit by, by riding my bike, uh, up to the site, oh, really? which, you know, uh, it proved, it proved out the proximity to Manhattan because it only took me, I think, gee, like 30 minutes to bike there. And, uh, you know, I, it was, it was, uh, I justified it as exercise. Yeah. <laughs> we could, we could leave the apartment for exercise. And so that was my little bit of exercise. Um, it's, I just had the opportunity to tour the project. It's, uh, going to be delivered around the end of the year. And I think will be uh, a fantastic investment for us. Uh, so it's, it's, it's my most memorable deal. I don't know yet if it'll be my best performing deal. Uh, time will tell. That's a great but, story. Uh, that is a great story. You know, a, a, a situation where we we had to think for the long term beyond what uh, was most pressing right in front of us. But with, with all of that in context and, um, you know, after doing a lot of homework, of course, um, and a lot of analysis, taking essentially a leap of faith that, you know, we would get through at least to some degree. The all the different challenges challenges we were experiencing at the time, um, and and that you know this asset would deliver, um, you know, once the world had recovered, and um, attract a lot of tenant interest, att- attract a lot of buyer interest, um, which which we expect to be the case. It's well, a great one. Yeah, I can see why that's. Pedaling
0: to success.
2: Yeah, it's the it's the only site visit I've done um, that I've gotten to. By a bicycle,
1: <laughs> certainly memorable. Awesome.
2: Well, you have uh, w- the third question
0: we usually ask is, what do you look for in hiring someone? But you've pretty much answered as- that in during the, the main portion of the uh of the interview here. So, uh, Lisa, you want to hit him with the last one, The Absol- toughest one, the
1: toughest one yet. So I am sure you are doing a lot of mentoring these days. But are there any mentors that you've had? And we talked about a little bit at the beginning. But any any in particular that that you feel you they've had a big impact on your career.
2: So, so the one we talked about already, Sarah. Is Sarah right, with whom I uh, I founded our secondary business all those years ago, and she has been uh, a very important mentor to me in my career. Um, so, so that's certainly one that comes to mind. Um, and then the the other that comes to mind, and I've had more so. If I don't mention you, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> you know, um, know that know that I appreciate um, the the mentorship I've received from from uh, quite a number of people in the industry. Um, the other that comes to mind and is notable in terms of my story is uh, someone named oh, lost an AirPod. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is somebody named Michael Arpy, who was one of the co-founders of my team at Credit Suisse. Um, He um, uh, eventually left Credit Suisse to become the head of fundraising at Carlisle. And um, it was my relationship with him that um, opened the door for Sarah and me to join Carlisle uh, slash Metropolitan um, all those years ago. And um, I learned a lot from, from Mike but in particular, I learned a lot about how important it is for uh, the people who do what I do, um, investments, to um, always be mindful of what the client needs, right? To have an investor orientation um, in everything we do. So don't invest in a vacuum. Think about, um, you know, who's providing the capital at the, at the end of the day why they decided to invest with you, what they're expecting uh, you to do with that capital, um, you know, how you will, um, uh, of, of course, generate um, hopefully attractive returns to them, but also you know, how you will talk to them about any challenges you might encounter in investing their capital as well. If things don't go as well as you expected, um, how at the end of the day are you gonna go back to the investor and explain you know, why you originally thought this investment was a good idea, uh, why it didn't work out and, and what you, you know, what you did, to, did about it in response. Right. Um, yeah, I that, that's something that um, I learned very early on from Mike, uh, who um, taught me a lot about fundraising and uh, working with investors that, that I think is really important uh, far too often. I see that people on the investment side in the real estate industry only want to do deals. Um, they don't want to be involved in fundraising, in investor relations, um, you know, really they're, they're more um, for lack of better words, kind of deal junkies. Right. Um, but I, I think it's important to um, you know, know where your capital is coming from and remember that you're investing someone else's capital right? Uh, just to, just to be mindful in um, in everything we do, um, about that in particular.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that must be, I, I've never done that before. So, but it must be like, you know, you do this so often, you just kind of forget this is like people's actual money. It's not just kind of this big corporate conglomerate kind of doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, that's a great answer, man. Um, well, David, it was really nice to get to know you better. I uh, can't wait to hear you on the webinar on the 27th. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man.
2: Great. Wonderful speaking with both of you as well. I'm also looking forward to the webinar. the webinar.